0: Genesis chapter 50. We are finally on the last chapter of Genesis. We've been looking at the life of Joseph uh, from chapter 37 of Genesis, now through Genesis 50. And we come to the end of the book of Genesis, and we're going to come tonight to the end of Joseph's life. And in this last chapter, there is one sort of primary theme that, that... just sort of surrounds the entire chapter. And that is that you see both Joseph and his family living life today based on the promises of God for tomorrow. Let me repeat that. Joseph and his family are living life today based upon the promises of God for tomorrow. I'd like you to think about and consider what does that mean for you? Because God, I think, wants us as His followers today to do the very same thing. He wants us to live today based upon what God has promised us for tomorrow. In a sense, we are living always in light of the future and what God says is going to come. We are... We are sort of between two worlds. Yes, we're living in this world, but we're also to be living for the world to come. And we see that certainly here in Genesis chapter 50. In Genesis chapter 52, you just see so many qualities of Joseph that come out. And the first one is really in verse 1 where we see that Joseph was a man of sensitivity. Notice it says that Joseph then hugged his father's face and he wept over him and kissed him. And this is based on the fact that at the end of chapter 49, Jacob breathed his last breath and went to his people. And we talked about that last week. That that was an expression back then uh, of people describing death. They would say, I'm going to my people. And there's a couple things in that phrase. First of all, that is reminding us that death is not the end of our existence. It is simply the continuation of our existence in another place. And also, it brings up the very important and comforting point about a great reunion that's coming. That there are people that we know who have died because of their faith in Jesus, who have gone on ahead of us, that one day we will be gathered together again to see them. That is a great hope that you and I have through Christ and through His resurrection and through the promised resurrection that He gives to us. We're going to one day go to our people and be reunited. And Paul talks about that even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So after Jacob died... The Bible says Joseph hugged his father's face, wept over him, and kissed him. Joseph was setting a heart example for his entire family. And yet, let's remember something here. Here's a man that we know through our study has been through so much, so much pain, so much adversity in his life. And like so many people, he could have allowed all of that to turn him into a very bitter person. Into a person that was very cold and unfeeling and insensitive. And yet it did just the opposite. That even though he went through all of this, because he walked with God and stayed faithful to God and allowed God to work in his life, he stayed a very sensitive man. In fact, when you see that Joseph was weeping in the book of Genesis... His tears were always for others and never for himself. And so he sets here a great example. He did not allow the things that happened to him to again make him a a cold and insensitive person. I think this verse also is just a good reminder for us too about the importance of learning to grieve in a healthy way when we experience loss. So many even Christians and followers of Jesus Christ do not grieve in a healthy way. And when we don't do that, when we're not willing to express our emotions or let our emotions out in healthy ways, it can really harm us and hurt us in a lot of ways. We have to learn not to Stuff our feelings and stuff our emotions and bury it. We've got to learn to express and deal with these things. That's a healthy way to live. And you see Joseph doing that here. Probably many of you, like myself, not just with my own family members, but as a pastor, I've been at the bedside of many people through the years when they died. And I will just say this again, there is a a great difference between a child of God when they go out into eternity and someone that did not know the Lord. You and I need to make sure that We have faith in Christ, and that we know where we're going to go when we die. We've got to make that kind of preparation right here and now. And so Joseph was a man of sensitivity. Notice also, though, again, Joseph's faith and vision for the Bible then says in verse 2 of chapter 50 that Joseph instructed the physicians in his service to embalm his father. Now he notice, he didn't instruct the priests of Egypt because the Egyptians embalmed their dead for religious reasons, for for what they believed, if you will, theologically. But Joseph here did not instruct the priest because he wasn't embalming his father based upon Egyptian religion. He was embalming his father for very pragmatic reasons. He had a long trip back to Canaan to bury his father, and he needed to make sure that his father's body would be preserved for that long trip back and the many days of mourning that was going to take place. And Joseph, obviously, being a leader in Egypt now for 70 or 80 years, knew, obviously, that if anybody knew how to embalm a body and keep a a body preserved, it was the Egyptians. They've been known down through history for that. Now, we're going to see tonight that because of how they respected Joseph, and because of, in a sense, the testimony that Joseph had in Egypt, Jacob, even his father, got the royal treatment when it came to embalming. I mean, there was quite a difference in Egyptian society between someone that was wealthy or had standing and how they embalmed them and how they embalmed someone that was very poor. You wanted to embalm someone that was very poor in Egypt, you would just let them, their body out there in the sun and let it just dry up. Sometimes they would just fill a body with salt. But to people of of greater degree and greater wealth, they would go through a very elaborate process of removing all the organs and all of that in order to preserve the body. And that's exactly what they were going to do with Jacob. So the physicians embalmed Israel. They took 40 days, for that is the full time needed for embalming. And then the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. Again, this reminds us of the respect that the Egyptians had for Joseph. Think about it. This, This young man that came from Canaan and was sold into slavery in Egypt and became Potiphar's household Manager and then got falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison and then was lifted out of the prison when Pharaoh had the dream and, and he, he rises to this great position of power and prominence and prestige in Egypt. And this young man gained so much respect from the Egyptians that when his father died, they mourned for his father for 70 days. It, it, it reminds again about the impact And the influence that one person can have, even upon those that don't believe in God, when we live for God the way we should. They might not agree with what we believe, but there will be a healthy respect for who we are. And that certainly was Joseph. When the days of mourning had passed, verse 4, Joseph said to Pharaoh's royal court, If I have found favor in your sight, please say to Pharaoh, My father made me swear an oath. He said, I'm about to die. Bury me in my tomb that I dug for myself there in the land of Canaan. Notice, they, they were living in Egypt. But they never looked at Egypt as their home. Why? Because they were living today based upon the promises of God for tomorrow. The Israelites' true home was in Canaan. And that's why they made the preparations they did. That's why Joseph did the things that he did. That's why he had his father embalmed. That's why he was going to travel back if he was given permission by Pharaoh to bury his father back there. Because it was all about... God's promises for tomorrow, but they lived that way today. They were sure that God's promises would one day come to pass. We need to live that way. Yes, many of the promises that God gives us has not come to fulfillment yet, either for us personally or for us corporately as as His people. But we are to be living today and making choices and decisions based on the promises that God has given us for tomorrow. And that's what Joseph did. He says, now let me go and bury my father and then I will return. So Pharaoh said, go and bury your father just as he made you swear to do. And now what you see, beginning in verse 7, is really a grand state funeral conducted with national pomp and ceremony. And this is for Jacob, Joseph's father. And yet Pharaoh and the Egyptians, again, thought so much of Joseph. He had such honor and respect amongst them that they threw a grand state funeral for his father Jacob when he died. Notice there are three groups that are going to travel from Egypt back to Canaan to bury Jacob. The first is in verse 7, So Joseph went up to bury his father, and all of Pharaoh's officials went with him the senior courtiers of his household, and all the senior officials of the land of Egypt. Get the picture in your mind here. You have Joseph with his father's sort of catafalque in the front of this grand state procession. And then right behind Joseph and Jacob's coffin, you have all the senior officials of Egypt following after them in all of their colored regalia and, and, and all of, of their royal robes and, and everything that they could, could bring. You, you could even see you know, the jewelry and all of that glistening in the, is in the sun as they trailed from out of Egypt on into the land of Canaan. Then second in the procession was verse 8. All of Joseph's household his brothers and his father's household, but they left their little children and their flocks and their herds in the land of Goshen. So this, the second group you have then is, is much in contrast to the first group. You have all these well-dressed officials of, of Egypt in all of their you know royal gear, if you will, and then right behind them, you've got these herdsmen and shepherds of Canaan who've been living in Egypt. This ragtag-looking group of, of people. And they're now following all the officials. And, and remember, the Bible makes it very clear that not one of Egyptian's high officials said no to this. They all were there. No one was going to miss this. No one wanted to miss this. That's again showing the respect and honor that Joseph had. And then after that came the military. Notice it says in verse 9, Then chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large entourage. So you've got all the high officials of Egypt, then you've got Joseph's family, and then after Joseph's family, at the back, you've got all the chariots and horsemen of Egypt. This great military group. And they're all trailing out of Egypt, and they're on their way to where? Canaan. Think about what's happening here. This is a dress rehearsal for what's going to happen some 400 years later when Moses and even many of the Egyptians leave Egypt when Pharaoh finally gives in and lets God's people go and they make this very same trek out of Egypt to the promised land. In fact, very interestingly, the route that, that they're going to take here tonight to get Jacob's body back to Canaan is going to be the very same route that Moses and the people of Israel will, will take some 400 years later. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, verse 10, on the other side of the Jordan, they mourned there with very great and bitter sorrow. There Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. And notice, when the Canaanites who lived in the land saw them mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a very sad occasion for the Egyptians. Notice that the people of Canaan considered Joseph even and his household and his family Egyptians. That is why its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan, which means the mourning of Egypt. So the sons of Jacob did for him just as he had instructed them. Why did Jacob instruct them to take his body back to Canaan? Because he was basing it on the promises of God for the future. They were living now in light of God's promises for the future. His sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah near Mamre. This is the field Abraham purchased as a burial plot from Ephraim the Hittite. So think about it now too, the the feelings that Joseph and his brothers and his family would have had when they got back there. They're now looking at the the burial plots of of Abraham and Sarah. They're looking at the burial plots of Isaac and Rebekah. And now they know here their father Jacob is going to be buried there as well. This is a very special, sacred place for this family and has great significance. But notice this. Very important in verse 14. After they buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. In fact, he even said back up there when he was talking to Pharaoh. Let me go and bury my father, and I will return. Yes, Joseph was going to take his father's body to Canaan. But for now, Joseph knew that his calling from God was not to stay in Canaan. His calling was back in Egypt. That's where God called him to, and that's where he needed to go back to. He needed to persevere in the calling that God had given him. And this is so important for us as Christians today. I think this is maybe one of the reasons why many Christians have a hard time persevering, because they don't understand what their calling is. And that's really the only way that you and I can persevere for long periods of time in what God has called us to is to be sure this is what God's called me to. And so I'm not going to get distracted by that and I'm not going to go off and do that. I'm going to stay here and do what God's called me to do until God calls me to do something else or go somewhere else. Yes, Joseph knew that one day he believed that God would lead his people out of Egypt to back to Canaan. But that was not today. Joseph needed to go back to Egypt, and he would live out the rest of his life in Egypt, faithfully performing the calling that God had for his life. It is our personal calling that will enable us to continue to persevere in our life and ministry. We've got to figure out what that calling is. That's what keeps our, our focus. That's what keeps our attention. That's what keeps us, again, from being distracted and, and, and getting off track. Is when we understand, God, what have you called me to? Where have you called me? There, there are so many followers of God that do not live understanding what their calling is. And yet I believe that every child of God has a calling upon their life. I don't believe that a calling of God is just for pastors and and worship leaders and and missionaries and, and all of that. I think every Christian, every true follower of Jesus Christ has a calling upon our lives. Joseph knew what his calling was. And he knew that it was back in Egypt serving under Pharaoh. When Joseph's brothers, now it takes a turn, when they saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge and wants to repay us in full for all the harm we did to him? Now we sort of leave the whole burial of Jacob and and the mourning and the grieving, and now something personal has come up in the family. And isn't that the way it is a lot of times? In the death of someone in a family, family issues resurface. When family gets together and grieves and has to go through what families do at times of loss in a family. And here are these brothers of Joseph who have now lived for 17 years still with the guilt of what they did to Joseph. Not because Joseph had not forgiven them, but because they had not accepted his forgiveness. The only, in their minds, the the only reason Joseph had not, in a sense, taken out his vengeance and wrath on them is because Jacob was still alive. In their minds, once their father died, Joseph was going to come after them. It reminds us of what fear can do in our lives. Fear can do strange things to our mind. Especially when we have unresolved guilt over something that we have not, has not been resolved. And it's not because Joseph for 17 years has done anything to make his brothers think that he didn't forgive them. That was on them. It wasn't on Joseph. It was on them. Fear often causes us to take matters into our own hands. Notice they sent word, verse 16, to Joseph saying, Your father gave these instructions before he died. No, he didn't. Notice now they're resorting to lying. How sad. And yet, what a great lesson for us. You and I have to get to a place in our life where if we've done something, if we've, if we've hurt someone, if we've offended, if we've sinned against God, we've got to learn to accept God's forgiveness. We, by faith, have got to learn to receive forgiveness from God, and from others. If we don't, just like unhealthy grieving, it can be a cloud, just like with Joseph's brothers, that hangs over our head. We end up having this guilt that just sort of hangs in there with us. And doesn't allow us to truly enjoy what life could be. You see. God doesn't want us to live that way. And yet for all these years, these brothers just had that guilt hanging there. Hopefully tonight, if there's someone here that still has guilt about something in your past, you will learn tonight how devastating that is. By being reminded of what is happening here with Joseph's brothers. And realizing that that's not the way God wants His people to live. He doesn't want us to live with the guilt of the things we've done in the past. He wants us to learn to receive His forgiveness and move on and let it go. God came to set us free. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. My friends, God wants you and I to be free tonight. He doesn't want us to be burdened and strapped with guilt, just like Joseph's brothers. Now, I will say this. Even though this unfounded fear caused Joseph's brothers to do strange things and to think strange things one thing I commend them for is when they sort of once again fall them at the, at the mercy of Joseph, they own their sin. They call it what it is. They did not call their sin a mistake or a lapse in judgment as is very common today, even amongst Christians. Notice they said, Tell Joseph this, Please forgive the sin of your brothers, verse 17. And the wrong they did when they treated you so badly. They owned it. They took responsibility for it. And that's always healthy to do. Sometimes the reason why we don't get over the guilt is because we truly haven't even come to a place where we accept responsibility for what we've done. It's only when we're willing to confess our sins and truly acknowledge them, that we can experience that forgiveness and that freedom and that lack of guilt that God wants to give us in our lives. So they go on to say, now please forgive the sin of the servants of the God of your father. And when the message was reported to Joseph, notice, he wept. It hurt him that his brothers were still struggling after all these years with something that they wouldn't have had to struggle with hearts like joseph's brothers are slow to recognize grace just like many today they they it's hard for for them to to believe that that god or anyone would just forgive i've got to i've got to do something i i've got to pay some kind of a penance, I, I, I've got to, have got you know, pay a penalty. And not that there aren't consequences even for forgiven sin, there, there can be. But there's also the concept that we are forgiven. We are forgiven by His grace. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we do enough and we merit. God, the Bible says, freely forgives us in Jesus Christ. Can I say amen to that? And I'm sure if Joseph was weeping, how it must even grieve the heart of God when he sees even his own children whom he has forgiven, whom he has cast the sins into the depths of the sea and buried them who still carry around unnecessary guilt because they've never by faith received the forgiveness that God offers. That's exactly what hurt Joseph. He was hurting for his brothers. Again, we see his sensitivity. And this is a man that was so hurt by his brothers that that if it wouldn't have been for God and God's working in his life, he would have probably taken pleasure in how his brothers were still hurting over this. But Joseph took no pleasure in this. He wanted his brothers to experience True forgiveness for what they had done. So then his brothers, verse 18, also came and threw themselves down before him and they said, here we are. We are your slaves. But notice Joseph's again response. He told his brothers, don't be afraid. And he gives them three reasons why they don't need to be afraid of him. First of all, he says... I am not about to put myself in the place of God in your life. God is the ultimate judge. He's your judge. I am humbling myself under God's authority. I am not going to put myself in the place of God in your life. What an important thing Joseph said. Because many times, as human beings, we can tend to put ourselves in the place of God in other people's lives. And we shouldn't do that. We should let God and only God have that place and that authority. And then second, because Joseph was willing to let God have and not take God's place, Joseph also then allowed God to have prominent place in his own life even dealing with the circumstances of his life. And he trusted that God would work through the circumstances of his life to bring out his own ends to his own glory. Which is why he tells his brothers, as for you, verse 20, you meant to harm me. Yes, you planned to injure me and hurt me, but God... God had the last word. And here's where you see joseph's faith here's where you see his trust in god that he's had his whole life that in spite of what others did to him he did not give them a power over him he said god will have the last word and god will define my life because god is the ruler of all and god even though you plan to hurt me god will plan to bring something good out of this and god did God used all the adversity and affliction and pain that Joseph went through to prepare him and to make him the man that he would be to raise him up to be second only to Pharaoh in Egypt and to eventually preserve Egypt and to preserve his own family alive through the great famine. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why the Egyptians so honored and respected Joseph is they looked at Joseph as a savior. They looked at Joseph as a deliverer. In their minds, many of the Egyptians probably thought, we would have died without Joseph. If Joseph wouldn't have come along and given us his wisdom and understanding of Pharaoh's dream and what was about to happen, we wouldn't be here. We owe our very lives and existence to Joseph. And that's why he carried such high respect and honor in Egypt. That's why when his father died, there was a grand state funeral. That's why all the officials of Pharaoh went. And the military went. They were giving Jacob a funeral like they would have given a Pharaoh in Egypt. It was because of the character of this man. And then he says, God was going to use this to preserve the lives of many people as you can see this day. So now, verse 21, don't be afraid. And the third thing he basically tells them is, I'm going to take care of you. And in a sense, that's what he's been doing, but basically saying, I can't say any more to you. I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing, and I'm just going to keep being who I'm going to be. And I'm hoping one day that you will truly understand That I've forgiven you. And you don't have to be afraid of me and what I'm going to do. Because obviously they knew that in Egypt, Joseph could have done anything to his brothers. He had that kind of power. But Joseph never used his position and power to, to enact vengeance upon his brothers who hurt him. He said, I will provide for you and your little children. And then he consoled them and spoke kindly to them. What an example for us. In so many areas here at the end of Genesis, we see that Joseph is being set up for us as an example in so many areas. And then we read in verse 22 and 23 the blessing that God gave to Joseph because of his faithfulness. Joseph lived in Egypt along with his father's family and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the descendants of Ephraim to the third generation. He also saw the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, and they were given special inheritance rights by Joseph. Joseph was blessed to see his grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and on. And can I say that really is a blessing? Even in my life, you don't really understand the blessing of being a grandparent until you are one. Just like you really don't understand the blessing of being a parent until you are one. And Joseph was blessed by God being able to see his grandchildren and great-grandchildren grow up and all of that in the land of Egypt. But then we read at the end of the chapter, But then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But here again, Joseph is living now and making choices and decisions now based on the promises of God for tomorrow. Because notice what Joseph now makes his brother's promise. He says, But God will surely come to you, literally visit you, give you attention and provision, and lead you up from this land to the land he swore an oath to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph clings to the fact and has all his life that God will be true to his word and true to his promises. So even though I have not realized those promises, Even though God has not fulfilled those promises in my lifetime, I still firmly believe them, and I am living my life in light of what God has said He will do. So Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to you. Then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And for over 400 years Joseph's embalmed body in Egypt was a testimony to the reality of Joseph's God. It was a testimony to the reliability and dependability of the word of God because it sat there embalmed ready to be taken back to Canaan because Egypt was not Joseph's ultimate home his home was Canaan it's like for us the Bible says this world is not our home Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says in Philippians 3.20, through whom we wait for a Savior to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, to transform our lowly, fragile, frail bodies in a likeness of His glorious body. That's why Paul says, therefore, we need to set our affection on things above and not things on the earth. That's why Jesus said, lay up treasure for yourselves in heaven, not on the earth. Because God always wants us to live as his people, not for today. But to live today in light of the promises God has made for what is to be. That's how you and I most effectively live today, is living in light of tomorrow. One other point our death can be a powerful witness of our faith. You see that here with both Jacob and Joseph in how they died, in the instructions that they gave to their family as they faced death. It was all about their belief in the promises of God, in their faith in God, in the fact that death was not the end. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so everything about their death and the events surrounding their death and the way they died and all of that was a testimony of their faith in the word and promises of God and it is an encouragement to us to live in such a way that people can view our lives like they did Joseph's life and say he's not living for this world he's living for the world to come He's not putting all of his effort and energy and and everything into this life. He's, He's investing in eternity because he truly believes in the promises that God has made for tomorrow. God wants us to live that way. He wants us to live in such a way and die in such a way that our life and our death can be a testimony of our faith. This is the life of Joseph. May his life continue to inspire us in the days ahead. As we think one day about going to our people, realize the cool thing here. Is it this man that we have studied over the last 13 weeks on Wednesday night? is somebody that you and I will be able to meet and talk to one day. You and I will actually be able to go up to this Joseph and say, hey, we did a Bible study on you. I learned about you on Wednesday night at a church called the Oasis. It's nice to finally meet you. And the cool thing about heaven is that Joseph will be just as glad to meet with us and talk with us about our life and our relationship with God as we are with him and the great thing about heaven too is in its timelessness we won't have watches and places that we have to say well Joseph I'm sorry I, I gotta be somewhere in five minutes I, I can I only got five minutes to talk to you if, If you want to sit down with Joseph and talk for a while, I think that would be okay. One day we're going to meet that man. And we're going to meet him in glory. Joseph knew where he was going. Hope you do too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises. your sure and reliable and dependable word. And we pray God that we would be such a people of faith that we would live today always in light of the promises you've made about tomorrow. This is what we see reflected here in the last chapter of Genesis. God, I pray that we would apply that to our lives as well. Help us not to live as if this life is all there is. Help us to make choices and decisions as if there's a life to come. An eternity that awaits us. A heaven and a glory to share with you and with others. God, help us to live that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here tonight. See you next Wednesday. And don't forget, Pie Fellowship next Wednesday.